So today we're going to continue our series about nuts and bolts. You remember the big idea behind this is that our goal is to live out our faith in Christ. It's to claim this responsibility as his ambassadors and not let our behavior slip so that we become loose in our relationship with him as our example to him. We've been looking through the book of James, which we will do again today. And if you have your Bible, turn to James chapter 2. And we're studying the book of James because James is all about nuts and bolts. It's about the things that we, we have to do if we're going to claim the name of Christ. It's not that we have to do these things to claim the name of Christ. It's that if we receive the name of Christ because of God's grace, then we're called to a standard to reflect him in this world. Those are the nuts and bolts that we want to tighten. As I was reading this book again this week, I was reminded from a, a 30,000 foot view that James reminds us that immature believers just talk about belief, but mature believers put their faith into action. Tightening the nuts and the bolts is about becoming mature in our faith. James chapter 2, he addresses something that we don't think about a lot. He's encouraging us and challenging us to tighten something that's not really on our radar. And because it's not on our radar, we kind of default from it. He's talking about an issue of favoritism. And Paul, uh, James, sorry, has a lot to say on this issue. So don't watch the TV show Everybody Loves Raymond. That, that is one of my favorite shows. It's just come on um, Peacock, and we got the little Peacock subscription. And we got a few minutes. I love that show. I think it's hilarious, and I think one of the reasons it's so funny is because it's so true to life. But again, as I look at that show from a distance, that's a show that works and is funny because it picks on favoritism. And it's incredibly dysfunctional family, right? You've got the mother who is the source of favoritism. She knows who she likes and who she doesn't. You've got Ray who receives the favoritism, right? Who's the spoiled kid who always gets what he wants because everybody loves Raymond. You have Robert, who is the victim of favoritism, right? He's the one that gets dumped on, blamed for everything. And then you get Frank, the dad, who sees Marie playing this game and he just checks out. That dysfunctional family that is dysfunctional because of favoritism is a microcosm of how favoritism works in our world. We have people who play favorites in a very dysfunctional way. 
We have people who benefit from favoritism in a very beneficial way. We have people who are victims because they're not favored in a very hurtful way. And because of this dynamic, there's another group of people who say, I'm just going to check out because this is such a mess. Everybody Loves Raymond reminds us that favoritism is a problem. Favoritism comes from judgment, which Jesus says, don't do. And favoritism births privilege, which is a horrible thing in a fair society. So what do we do about favoritism? James spends the first part of chapter 2 talking about some things that we can do to check our lives to see if we're part of the favoritism problem or whether we can live in such a way not that we neutralize favoritism, but that we learn to favor everybody. There are a number of things that James says. Let's dive in. James chapter 2, verse 1. Starts off very clearly talking about what he wants to say in this chapter. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. This first verse, three things that are worth noting. First of all, he calls those who are reading brothers and sisters. Why does he do that? Because they're a family, he loves them. Yes, but in this family, he's saying to them, I am on the same level as you. We are brothers and sisters. I'm James. I had a very close relationship with Jesus. I'm the one who's writing the letter. I've got some authority, but I'm on your level because before Christ, we're all brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, don't show favoritism. Why? Because favoritism is going to mess everything up. Favoritism does not reflect the attributes of God. God does not look down from heaven and say, I like you, I don't like you. You fit, you don't. That, that's not how it works. When God's creating us, and knitting us together in our mother's womb, he doesn't say, oh, that one's a keeper and that's a defect. Favoritism does not reflect the attributes of God. And as well as that, it doesn't, it doesn't sync with the attitude of Jesus. Jesus didn't play favorites. He came to heal, to love to value, to affirm, to tell everybody that they matter to God. Don't play favorites. 
as you hold on to the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he end this little sentence this way? Because he wants to say that in our fellowship, there is only one who's glorious. Brothers and sisters, it's not me who's special. Don't show favoritism because it's our glorious Lord who is the only one who's glorious. He's saying, don't fangirl around certain people. Don't get excited when a certain kind of person comes into the room. When you gather as the church in whatever setting that is, don't seek to give glory to one man at the expense of another. Give your glory to God because he is our, there's some ownership there, glorious, he is worthy, Lord, he is in charge. James starts off, my brothers and sisters, we're on the same page. And so don't show favoritism because we follow the one who is worthy of our praise the one to whom we should attribute glory. She says, let me give you a case study. If someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person also comes in dressed in filthy clothes, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, oh, sit here in the good seat, and you say to the one in filthy uh, clothes, stand over there, out of the way, or if you want, you can sit on the floor by my footstool. You've made distinctions, and the evil one is coming into the fellowship. A few years ago, Tracy and I went to New York. Uh, it was an anniversary trip. And so we kind of tried to cram as much tourist stuff in as we can. And one of the things they were able to do because of uh, Tracy's brilliance, we were able to get tickets for the David Letterman show, right? Pretty cool. We're excited. What a, what a fun way to do it, right? So we get there and you have to be there a few hours early for the taping and you wait in a long line and they kind of quiz you to see if you can go in. And I think we failed the quiz, but they still... Let, let us in. Maybe they were playing favorites or something. I don't know. But anyway, we, we get inside and they give us a ticket. And you go inside and you wait in another line to go and sit in the studio. Before we went into the studio, we noticed that in this long line, they were putting blue stickers on some tickets and leaving some tickets without blue stickers. Now, Tracy and I are in line. The people in front of us got a blue ticket, and the people behind us got a blue ticket, but we didn't get a blue ticket. And so we kind of said, what's, what's up with that? We, we, we want a blue sticker on our ticket. And we all went into the auditorium, and as we did, this usher says, if you've got a blue sticker on your ticket, you come this way because we want you guys on the front three rows. That's exactly what James is talking about. As we sit on the, the back row, 
looking at the front three rows, we realized that all the people in the front three rows were young and attractive. I'm pretty sure that Tracy would have got there if I hadn't been with her. But what happened on that David Letterman show was exactly what James was talking about. Don't show favorites. There are blue sticker people and there are non-blue sticker people. That's true in life, but it's not true in the church and it's not true in the kingdom. So some people are going to come in, they're going to be wearing lots of rings. Rings was a, a, a status symbol. In fact, you can actually um, rent rings to go to a party to make you look more affluent than you are. It's like the old-fashioned version of renting a convertible to go to a prom or something, I guess, right? James says, brothers and sisters, in the church, under Christ, we're all the same. Do not show favoritism before our glorious Lord. Don't, don't, don't treat people as if they have blue stickers or not. Everybody is treated the same. I did a little bit of a deeper dive into this word favoritism. The word is used in the Old Testament as well and translated in the Old Testament. It's actually translated as lift up someone's face, right? And the idea is that when someone comes into the room who you favor, you lift up your face to them so that they can lift up their face to you. That makes sense? The, the, the opposite of that would be that when someone comes into the room who doesn't have a blue sticker, who is wearing the, the filthy clothes rather than the fine clothes, that we look down on them. What James is saying is he's, he's not saying don't, don't appreciate and respect those who are wealthy. What he's saying is lift up all faces. It, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter to us. Whether someone is a billionaire or a million dollars in debt, our job is to love them the same. It does not matter what someone looks like as they come in because God looks at the heart and we don't see the heart. So we lift up our face to everybody. We speak value to all. <laughs> You're not going to come to church next week and be given a blue sticker or not. It's not going to work that way. Because we lift up all faces. James continues, chapter 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. You know why I think he says brothers and sisters again? He's already said it like five or six times in the book already. We're only on chapter two. I think he's saying, for those in the back, for those who didn't hear this, 
Listen up. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith? And heirs of the kingdom that he promised to those who love him. Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? What James is doing here is he's making the case that we got it the wrong way round. That in the kingdom of God... Those who are dishonored by the world are deeply honored by God. Those that the world counts as useless and without value, God says, you are valuable. He's saying, church, so often you get it the wrong way round. You think that the church grows, that the church is strong when it connects with the impressive, with those with multiple rings, with with the blue stickers on. But he said, don't be naive in that. God values the poor. And actually, if you think about it, those that are oppressing you And those that are taking you to court, they're the ones you're trying to impress. He's saying here, this is so crazy. You're trying to impress people who are putting you down. What's up with that? Value those that the world doesn't value. Should we value the fine and the blue stickers? Yes, but not any more than anybody else. Then he ends this, ends this little section by, by saying this, don't blaspheme the good name which was invoked over you. What does that mean? He says, when you treat people differently, when you categorize people You are blaspheming, that's a strong word, with strong connotations, the name of Jesus. Because Jesus values everybody. Jesus counts everybody as worth. Jesus knows that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He knows that we're all created in his image. Don't blaspheme the good name, I love this, that was invoked over you. What, 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 does, what does that mean when he says, the name that was invoked over you? You know, the, the, the picture here is when a, a husband and wife gets married and the wife takes on the name of the husband. Or when a child is born and they take on the last name of the family. James is saying, don't play favorites, don't blaspheme, because you are taking on, you are invoking the name of Jesus. 
says, if you call yourself a Christian, then you have a responsibility to live up to the family name as Christian that has been given to you. And so I think the second challenge that James is offering as we work through this this ugliness of favoritism is he's saying we must remember always to affirm our new identity. We must affirm our new identity in Christ. We should live like we belong to Jesus. And that means we think as Jesus thought and we speak as Jesus spoke and we love as Jesus loved. When we say yes to following Jesus, when we are made new as a new creation in Christ, the old us that embraced favoritism has died. And the new us that has invoked the name of Christ, that has put on the identity of Jesus, loves and cares and lifts and values and considers worthy. How do we fight favoritism? First of all, we lift up all faces. Secondly, we affirm this new identity that we have because of Jesus. And thirdly, because of those two things, he goes on to say we must distribute love a mercy. This is where the passage really gets interesting. It says, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in Scripture, let me remind you what that is. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. There's a link between love and favoritism. It's talking about Everyone loves Raymond and the dysfunction of that family. There's an episode I was watching a few weeks ago. And the boys sit down with their mother and they try to call her out on her favoritism. Mom, you play favorites. No, no, not not me. I heard the story the the other day of a young man who was going to become a dad for the second time. And he said, I don't know how I'm going to love my second child as much as I love my first child because I love my first child with all the love I've got. And so perhaps he's thinking to himself, I'm going to have to play favorites. But we know that's not how it works, right? We don't play favorites when we have two. We just get more love. And that's why James is saying, if you want to avoid playing favorites, then hold on to this royal command that comes from your king to love your neighbor as yourself. Because the way to overcome 
favoritism is to get more love. It's not to stop loving those who have the blue sticker. It's not like love is a a limited commodity that we have to choose where we give it. The God who is love says, I got more love for you. And tightening the nuts and the bolts is really this journey of getting more of God's love in us so that we can love the world more. Does that make sense? The first thing that James says, if we want to overcome this ugliness, this dysfunction of favoritism, is lift up all faces. Secondly, he says, affirm your new identity. Thirdly, distribute love and mercy. There is not a shortage of love. We are not given a finite amount of love to share because love comes from a God who is infinite love. If you can love your neighbor as yourself, whoever your neighbor is, whether they're wearing fine clothes or filthy clothes, whether they got a blue sticker or not, says you're doing well. But if, however, you show favoritism, you are committing a sin and convicted by the law as transgressors, as sinners, you've broken the law. Because the perfect law of God is to love him with all of our heart and to love each other, to love our neighbor as ourself. And if we're playing favorites, then we're breaking the law and we are a sinner. I am a sinner. Favoritism is a sin that begets lots of sins. And we hear that and we want to protest. And we say, but Lord, in the list of things that I could do wrong, man, favoritism surely isn't a big one. And it's almost like James is reading our mind when he says, for whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. And again, we don't like that, right? Because we got favorite sins. And we do this favoritism thing with, 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 with some of our behaviors. Well, it was bad, but it wasn't as bad as that. So maybe I'll get a pass on that. James is saying that that whole system is, is so wrong. It's so broken. Because our salvation and our faith is not about a ladder or a percentage of our goodness as opposed to our badness. It's not as if we do more good than bad that gets us into heaven. It just doesn't work like that. James is saying if you've broken just one part of it, you you got nothing Can you need grace. And just in case you need reminding, you've broken a part of it. I have several times already today, and it's not even 11 o'clock yet. My salvation rests upon my goodness, badness, balance. I'm in trouble. Story of a a husband who came back from a a weekend away with some of the guys. He gets home and his wife says, did you have a a good time? He said, yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. 
Oh, that's great. I said, honey, you'd be, you'd be real proud of me. When I was on that trip, I was 95% faithful. Doesn't work, does it? That's what James is saying. If you've broken any part of it, you've broken all of it. Your salvation is not about how much good you can do as opposed to how much bad you do. Your salvation is based on grace because we've all been unfaithful to God. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. You've heard it said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you're still a lawbreaker. It's interesting that he picks on these two sins. There's hundreds of thousands that he could have picked on, but he picks on these two, and I think he does it specifically. Because when Jesus talks about these two sins, the sin of adultery and murder, Jesus says that these two sins, before they um, are expressed as an action, they begin in the heart, right? And I think one of the things that James is implying here is that favoritism is the expression of a sin in the heart, and that sin in the heart is judgmentalism. He says, hey, if you haven't kept it all, you've broken it all. And if you've broken it all, there's one thing you need. You need mercy. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I think he's saying if you want to not get caught in this playing favorites trap that leads to all kinds of brokenness and dysfunction and sin, we need to be people of mercy. Favoritism judges We're not people of judgment. Because when it comes to judgment, none of us have got any platform to stand on. We're people of mercy. And here's the good news. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus had a lot to say about mercy. Perhaps the most stark was this. He said... The degree of mercy to which you extend to another is the degree of mercy to which I will extend to you. As I look at my life and the sins that trip me up and the things I do that cause pain and cause hurt and the decisions I make that are ungodly, man, I need a lot of mercy. And if I'm in need of a lot of mercy, then I gotta be ready to give a lot of mercy. And giving a lot of mercy means I cannot play favorites. Everybody loves Raymond. A dysfunctional family 
because of favoritism. Someone's grabbed power and is giving it. Someone's living a life of privilege because of it. Someone is living oppressed because of it. Someone is checking out because of it. It's a microcosm for what's happening in our world, but the church needs to be different. We are not people who play favorites. We say, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever sin you've committed, we're going to look upon you with love. We're going to lift up your face because we're going to lift up all faces. It doesn't matter if you come in with everything or nothing. We're going to love you the same. We're going to do that as we affirm and live out this new identity that Jesus has given us because our role is to reflect Him. And we avoid this trap of favoritism by distributing love and by spreading mercy in a world where real love is not a known concept. And where much needed mercy is so sadly replaced with judgmentalism. Lord, let us be people of mercy so that we are not people who make things worse by playing favorites.